I, th- I mean, of course, I, if it was my family, I would do it. But just to be a donor, I, I don't know if I could do it. But I've definitely uh, learned a lot today. I appreciate that. But if I, nothing else, if you know someone incarcerated, you mark it down that you're going to yeah. give it to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Erica Hinkle. And my name is Joshua Griffin. Thank you for listening to Behind the Scenes, where we go behind the scenes with our Tidewater area businesses, philanthropy, and community involvement. I'm owner of Erica Hinkle Events, LLC, a full-service wedding and event company specializing in floral design and decor. And I own Griffin Air, serving the Middle Peninsula and Northern Neck for all your heating, cooling, and plumbing needs. Let's go behind the scenes right now. Welcome to Behind the Scenes in Tidewater, where we go behind the scenes with our local businesses, philanthropy, and community involvement. And Erica, today's guest is a little different, a little different from our average guest, but this is some really cool information. Yeah, I'm super excited to dive into this. Josh, this is going to be fun. Me too, me too. I think if someone, if you just came across this show, I think this this is the kind of info that we, when we started the show... We were hoping to make the community a little better. Um, So if you've come across this episode, stay tuned. Uh, But today's guest is Susan Radosta, and she is an organ transplant recipient that has been featured in the Williamsburg Next Door Magazine and Virginia Gazette. And Susan, if you would, just start off telling us a little bit about you and a little bit about what you do. All right. Well, um, here I start with the ums. I was diagnosed in my early 20s about 30 years ago with a kidney disease and was told that in the future, I was going to probably most likely need a kidney transplant. Little did they not tell me that the disease also was in my liver, too, and I was going to need the liver transplant before the kidney transplant. So needless to say... I have received the liver transplant and I'm now waiting for a kidney transplant. Wow. So, oh my God, I don't even know how to begin on this. Um, So have you been waiting for, I guess, like, how do you, how does the whole process start with you getting on a list? Is it kind of like that or? Yeah, it's um, very regulated by UNOS, which is the United Network for Organ Sharing. Mm -hmm. And it's, nationwide and so what they have very strict regulations and so what happened was over the years my liver with the disease that I have it doesn't affect the liver functioning it makes the liver grow so big that it limits your life I had spent three Mm. years basically bedridden before I got on the list and um, it was finally one of the transplant doctors in, um, at MCV in Richmond had looked at a recent CAT scan they did. And he, was, he looked at me and says, how are you surviving? I said, in my bed. Ugh. And um, so at that point, he says, I'm taking you to the committee here at the hospital and we're going to get you on the list. And I was officially listed on July 2nd of 2018 and in the month in january of 2000 
19, I'd received three phone calls that I was a backup person. And finally, um, February 4th of 2019, it was an hour before the Super Bowl. I got the phone call that I had an hour and a half to get from Williamsburg to Richmond. Wow. And meanwhile, my husband was working two jobs at the time, and I did not know which job he was at that night. Oh, wow. Oh, no. That's probably caused some more anxiety. Well, luckily, he was on his way home. So we were getting ready. Um, It was just at the time at home, it was just myself, my husband, and my youngest daughter who was 15 at the time and um so she so we were getting ready to go to buffalo wild wings to watch um the super bowl and so when we had to change our plans and we were telling my daughter that we weren't going to go to buffalo wild wings for the super bowl her first question was well can we still go to buffalo wild wings (laughs) (laughs) we get the to-go package on the way out the door (laughs) what an emotional moment that had to have been because if you're on a list like that and then all of a sudden they call i mean i'm sure that you know there's got to be emotions going right well the first call we got was at like nine o'clock on new year's eve and we were just getting ready we're gonna sit and watch the tv and watch the ball drop in new york and you know just have some champagne and just kind of hang out a little bit well at that point the emotions start going because you're like could this actually be it could i actually be getting it we kind of um let go of our new year's eve plans and just kind of got things to kind of together in case I got the phone call because you're given limited time to get to the hospital because they have the deceased person on life support right limited time that they can retrieve the organ and then at that point they have even more limited time to get the organ from wherever it is to wherever you are and get it into you. Wow. And I, and I'm sure that's, that is so emotional. I actually know somebody that had a loved one that passed that donated their uh, organs to somebody else. And I had talked to her about kind of that process, but as the recipients, how, how is that, you know, did, were, I don't know if you got to like know anything about the deceased person or whatever, but I just like, how is that process? It was very nerve wracking to begin with. Because I didn't know how I felt about somebody else's organ being inside my body. Yeah, so yeah. That was a lot to deal with. And um, I know next to nothing about the person. Um, where the agency that set up the whole donation with UNOS. With, uh, so the first six months that you have the organ, you can email them. They have a their site and they have a little area set up that you can email them a thank you letter to the donor's family and then they have the option to write you back or not and we did send a letter and I assume it got sent to the donor's family but we never heard anything back right and it kind of you know you uh, there's so much going on through your mind because I don't know how the person died I don't know whether it was male or female I don't know anything at all about them mm. Like, I know nothing. So, you know, you sit there and you wonder, you know, um, you know, the person was incarcerated. Oh, and, wow. You know, here it is right before the Super Bowl. I know they were not very sick because they wouldn't be able to use the organ. So the question is, you know, was there a big fight concerning the Super Bowl that year? That Oh, gosh. Yeah. All these I... scenarios must have gone uh, to your head. I mean, it's just 
crazy because, you know, that was what, what would really occur to me the most would be, you know, you're right here before the Super Bowl. And what what's a big thing that probably happens in prison is that they are probably getting ready and excited about watching the Super Bowl. So you sit and you just wonder. Yeah, no, I, that all would go through my mind, too. Uh, you know, a million, a million different things. Um, did you after, and I'm sure the surgery must be very invasive and is probably a long process. You were probably in a lot of pain, but did you feel better afterwards? Like, did you immediately, you know, I felt like a brand new person and wow, because the usual surgery for a liver transplant is about five hours. My liver was so up into all of my organs and because I also have this disease with my kidneys I have very large kidneys and so the liver and the kidneys were starting to like meet together and combine together into one organ and so my surgery took over eight hours and you know it was a much longer surgery than usual do they do they take into account the uh lifestyle that the person that needs the organ in the decision making or how far down the list they are um the reason i ask is i feel like some people that might be on that list uh may ha- it may, may be self-inflicted right like there there's a problem with their liver because they have a, an alcohol uh, addiction or something like that. Is that, is that, or am I, am I off base with this? Oh no, you're completely right. Um, if you end up because of alcohol with cirrhosis of the liver, you have to be, um, alcohol free for six months before you can get put on the list. You, they go by like a point system and it has to do with your functions. And so I, um, you know, because my liver was functioning well, they took into my lifestyle and what the difference in my lifestyle would be had, you know, if I get the liver and even doing the point system, I was very, very low list. So they were able to apply to UNOS and get me further up the list. So I went from being like way at the bottom of the list to all of a sudden in three months time with this letter to Uno's going up to number two on the list because, you know, they call number one and number two on the list when an organ is becoming available. And I had received three phone calls between New Year's Eve and I want to say like January 24th. And then it was Mm -hmm. the February that I got my organ. So yeah, they take a lot of that into consideration and that's, and even Uno's allows the, the um, centers to apply for what they call compassion points. Mm. But yeah, if you are like self-inflicted, such as alcoholism, you they have their rules. And I know for a fact it's six months that you have to be alcohol-free with alcohol. Right. Yeah. I mean, because if we're going to give you a new liver, we need to know that you're not going to do, keep continue to do the same thing. Yeah. Um. Now, it's interesting because I do have a friend who during this time one of her good friends' son tried to commit suicide by overdosing on some type of pills. And they he got a liver immediately because he needed a liver. And then, like, within a couple of days, his kidney started to fail. So here they had given this kid who tried to commit suicide a liver that is very much needed by so many people. And um, then his 
kidney ended up failing and he ended up passing away but like i couldn't understand why yeah got something right away so so this the unos it seems to me and correct me if i'm wrong seems to me like it's kind of like a third party a, a third party organization that helps people like you in your situation find um organs possibly faster or at least is staying on top of it i guess more than maybe the hospitals would um is like how would i mean god forbid but say something were to happen to somebody that uh you know one of one of the members in my family like when are you introduced to knowing about unos you know what i mean once you get to the point where your doctors feel that you need to get the specialized care. So what happened was I had my primary. And then at one point, the primary sent, was sending me over to a GI doctor here in Williamsburg. And then they, they follow everything with my liver. And then once they felt that, you know, things were at the, the, the doctor, it's hard to hard to explain the, the the doctors just kind of know when it's time to send you to the, the up to around here we all go to richmond right okay uh, okay to the transplant doctors and you know they have their connections and they make the phone calls and you know they get you in there and then the transplant doctors at that point will start following you now yeah. They were following me for probably a year before then the one doctor said i don't know why you're not on the transplant list at this point and then he took me right to the you know he they have a committee that takes looks at they meet once a week i believe they meet on thursdays and they look at each case individually and they make the decision on you know we can put them on the list and activate them right away or we can put them on the list and keep them inactive so they are accumulating time now UNOS is the central registry, so anybody okay. who's listed for an organ is listed with UNOS. I gotcha. Okay, I understand so now. time an organ becomes available, it goes right to UNOS, and UNOS makes the decision where it goes. I see. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes. Now, yeah, no, it it definitely uh, makes sense. Is is there any, you know, in the pro like, I know you're still waiting on um, a kidney, right? Is that correct? Now, my kidney, I'm inactive because for UNOS rules, they have certain criteria. And so my kidney function is just above their number to become active. But they needed to put me on the list before I hit my one year with my liver because it automatically puts you up higher on the list. Right. Okay. It sounds honestly, it sounds like an algorithm. This UNOS. It is. It's all <laughs> an algor- it really is an algorithm. That's oh man, that's crazy. I mean, I'm sure it's the smarter way to do it, but it, to me, just l- kind of listening to you tell your story, it almost seems a little impersonal when you're going through such a you know a scary time. You know, you it, need. To- it really is. It's it's really all you know. It is an algorithm, and it's all where you fall. It's it's all list now in this country right now i want to say and i for some reason because it's the two organs i'm interested in there's twenty thousand people in the country waiting on a liver but for a kidney there's 150,000 people in the country waiting on kidneys wow and so you know it's they're much more um they're much more strict about 
activating people for kidneys and they really, you know, sit by their numbers and, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are. Yeah, this is, it sounds like very overwhelming, you know, I, for you to be diagnosed with something and then know that you're going to have to have transplants and it just sounds very overwhelming. Um, what, what kind of advice would you give somebody, um, that was, that would just be diagnosed, you know, with, with something serious like that? You, you know, you can't, you can't get upset. You can't lose sleep over it and you can't worry so much about it. it it's just, it's, it's a process and you should familiarize yourself with the process. And, you know, one thing I didn't have, which I wish I had had was somebody who had been through it to speak to them because so many things were happening, like the phone calls were happening. And so like the first one, I was so excited and thinking, this is it. I'm going to get it. You know, it's my new year's thing. And I called everybody in my family and I said, this is it. I'm going to have it tomorrow and all this stuff. And so everybody was all excited. And so my husband and I, we went to bed that night at like 10 o'clock at night to try to get some sleep. Right. I slept maybe like an hour and I was up the whole rest of the night. And finally at like four in the morning, I called the the coordinator back from Richmond. I said, well, what's the news? And she was like, well, we couldn't give it to anybody. It was the organ ended up being no good. But you just Ugh, so such a letdown. Yeah. yeah, it is a letdown. And then the next phone call comes and <clears throat> I'm not as I'm not as excited. I'm not I'm just taking it more with a with a, you know, grain of salt. Right. That, you know, if it happens, it happens. And so I just sometimes wish I had someone that I could have spoken to. Right. And realized how the whole process really went with the the early phone calls that, you know, you're second on the list, usually for second on the list, not to get overexcited because it just means that chances are you will not get it then. And you have to wait till, you know, they call and say, this is it. Um, yeah. And then am I correct in thinking that pretty much all scenarios where you're going to get a call, someone else has died or right. Yeah. That's that, that's the only way that you're getting um, organs you is if somebody. It, you can do it through living donor and it's usually you need to know somebody. Okay. That is willing to donate. I unfortunately, because of my siblings, their ages and everything and, and other issues, none of them are able to donate. Um, I, cannot ask my children to do it because the disease that I have is hereditary and there's a 50 50 chance that they could develop it. As, oh. So my children are out. It's all, you know, you just, sometimes you have to go and plead for somebody to do it or hope right. that Maritain will step up. Um, I'm part of a whole bunch of Facebook groups and, you know, a lot of it is, you know, husbands and wives donating to each other or children donating to their parents. But in my case, it's the whole sit and wait. Uh, most people for a kidney waiting for a deceased donor are waiting 10 years. That's why as soon as they, as soon as I was hitting the one year, the doctors are like, well, your numbers are low enough that we can activate you as inactive. And this way, while we're waiting on things, I'm accumulating time without being very, very sick and having to go on dialysis all these years. Right. Oh, and are you 
on dialysis? I no, guess. not yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Your numbers need to be your kidney function and the number they look at is your GFR and what it stands for. I do not know. Oh, it's the glucose filtration rate. Ah, okay. Um, and they look at that. And so if your GFR is at 20, which means kidney functions at 20% or lower for three consecutive months, you can get, be activated. Mine sits between 22 and 28. It fluctuates between those numbers all the time. Every time they do blood work. Right. Um, you don't go on dialysis till your kidney function is at like seven, like five to 7%. So whole gotcha. hope is to, um, have me accumulating this time right now. So as soon as my numbers go down low enough, they can um, just activate me right away. And at that point, I'm higher up on the list than somebody who just went on. Right. So I wanted to ask, because you were saying that some of the folks in the Facebook group, uh, you know, they're, they're related in some way. So if you're an organ donor, you can choose who you want your organs to go to? Yes. Okay. If you have somebody, but there's sometimes people that will go to a trans call to a transplant center and say, you know, and there are people in these Facebook groups that do that. They will um, donate, just blindly donate to somebody. Mm -hmm. And the neat thing now is it doesn't always have to be the same blood type. They do a lot of um, shared donations what so what happens in in richmond they're very big on that they have their um living donor suites but what they do is if like i'm blood type O, so if i have somebody that's blood type a and they want to donate so what'll happen is they'll go to the first person on the list who's in the hot in their program who's blood type a and they'll say you know if you in the next two months can find somebody willing to donate that's o, o blood type o we have an organ for you wow mm. and so they will this person will probably most likely they'll want their organ so they will go to every hoop they can to find to find somebody to donate but they'll do that whereas they'll they do both in one day so that the person who is donating to me can't back out as soon as their person gets oh the- right right so there's some sort of a contract basically it's a contract saying that you know you're willing to donate to this other person because your brother is going to get an organ from their cousin or something wow interesting yeah but they do a lot of that now it's- i had no idea yeah and they're actually starting with kidneys um they they will do hepatitis c if a kidney has hepatitis c they will do that transplant and what they found is that it is 99 percent of the patients that they transplant with a hep c kidney um if then they treat the kidney after they treat the hepatitis after it's been donated and they find 99 percent of the patients um do very well Wow. wow. There's so much that people don't know. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I've i definitely learned um, a, a lot. I had no idea that you could, uh, you know, basically barter. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, uh, to get a kidney. But that's, uh, that's, that's great. So how, well, how do you feel now? Um, um, I feel a lot better than I did before my liver, but 
I can tell that my kidney function is not very good because I get very tired. Um, I have days where I just don't feel well. My best friend lately is um, is a anti-nausea medicine called Zofran. A lot of times in the uh, morning, I wake up and I just, before I can do anything, I have to take like Zofran and I always have to take it at night before I go to bed. They prescribe that to uh, pregnant women when they're really morning and they have morning sickness too. That's a, that's a pretty hard drug. Yeah. But I mean, it's just my best friend on some days. Yeah. Yeah. I have some days where I just have no energy and everything. And I have other days where I'm like, like today it's like, I just want to like face the world today and do everything I should have done last week. So I didn't feel good. Um, it just, I mean, I'm not bedridden like I was before the liver, but I'm not as good as I should be. Right. Right. I lost 30 pounds. I'll tell you just from the surgery of my liver, it was 30 pounds. The next day I was down my liver, a normal liver weighs seven pounds. My liver, when they, um, took it out was 15.3. Holy smokes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Huh. It was it was huge. I they showed me a picture of it and I almost died looking huh. at the picture. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Well, I'm so yeah. glad you're feeling better. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's an incredible process and it's just it's so funny how little people know about it and just sometimes just being a living donor is just it, you just don't realize the gift you're giving to somebody. And, you know, another big thing is on people's driver's license, they, um, you know, they don't have it marked as being um, as being a a donor. I always do. And I'll never forget why. It's because my mom, when she was getting her license, I was just a little kid. And they used to ask you that question. It, it wasn't something that you filled out, but they used to ask that at the DMV. And I said, what do you mean, mom? And she told me, you know, what they do. And I was first like appalled. And she's like, no, that saves people's lives. You always want to fill out the donor thing. So I always do. Well, I tried to talk with, I wanted to go to my daughter's high school the one time when I found out how many people are not marked as being organ donors. And I wanted to go to my daughter's high school the one time and talk with, you know, the high school kids Yeah. about the importance of, you know, because that's when kids are getting their driver's license. That's when, you know, they're going to mark it on their driver's license. Yep. And, you know, wanted to talk to them about the importance of, of marking that and checking that box. And the president of the PTA went off on me and she says, why would these kids ever want to think about that? Why would they ever want to do that? It's because she's not in that position. That's terrible. Yeah, people are very, I find that there's a lot of very ignorant people when it comes to organ donation in the sense that they don't want to think about something like that with themselves. They don't want to think about death. Yeah. Stay tuned till after these messages and we will be going behind the scenes with this guest. Um, well, we're about to go behind the scenes. Uh, each each show, we go behind the scenes with our guests and have them share something. So what's something that you can share with our listeners that maybe the average person may not know? Something I learned that's very interesting 
when you are incarcerated, when I got the phone call about my liver, the person was incarcerated, but they had to go through a whole list of questions for me because they consider it a high risk organ because the person was incarcerated. Right. And, you know, there's so many different things that can happen in prison and happen before the person's incarcerated with the person. Mm hmm. I thought that was very interesting because I would think that, you know, being in prison, they get drug tested more often. You know, they are, they have all that right, the, the healthcare right in there and stuff. But no, that doesn't happen. I also found out that when you're in prison, when you're incarcerated, you lose all rights to your body. Like if you decide that you don't want to be an organ donor, like if you pass away, you don't have that option. It's your next of kin or your family or whoever makes that choice. Uh. Like you have no rights at all with your body when you're incarcerated. And anybody who's given an option of getting an organ from somebody incarcerated, don't ever let the don't your your transplant center ever scare you with that phone call. I would never pass that up at all we consider my liver to be um on parole <laughs> and um they say that my liver's the best is is the best liver they've seen in years wow well, that's great oh so, you know don't ever let your your transplant center ever scare you with that phone call with the high risk questions but yeah i just found it very interesting that when you're incarcerated that you just lose all rights to everything including your body and what happens to your body when you, when you die. Wow. So this may be a, you know, a different way of saying it, but just so I'm clear, you're saying that if someone's incarcerated, that they are automatically an organ donor. Is that correct? They're not automatically an organ donor. It's your, whoever's listed as like your family, your next of kin or your emergency contact. They're the person that makes the decision. Ah, okay. Mm, okay, so they give up the right to, to make the decision. They give up the right to their body. They give up the right to make that decision. So, Wow. Like they said, when you're incarcerated, not only do you lose all your rights, but you lose the rights to your body, too, huh. which I found was very interesting. That is very interesting. Um, somebody had somebody from my transplant center had told me that they had said, you know, it's not the person who passed away that makes that decision. It's it's their family. So even family members of somebody incarcerated, the next of kin can decide that, no, I don't want to I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, being an organ donor is very, very, very important. Well, I, yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, I, I wanted to share a, a couple of stats uh, I found as you were talking and I went to, this is organdonor.gov and there's just some, some statistics here. I just wanted to touch on. Um, it says that 107,000 people in our country are on the list that they're, they're waiting for a transplant. So that's, a, that is a ton of folks that are needing a transplant. And it says that every nine minutes, another person is added to the list. Yeah, so. it should be more, the number should be higher than that because it's a hundred and something thousand just for kidneys. Ah, interesting. Wow. Yeah, that number, if you usually go on to UNOS, you get a little bit more accurate numbers, but yeah, it's, it's a high amount of people that are waiting for organs. My favorite no, statistic yeah. is down here at the bottom. It says that one person can save up to eight lives because 
you know, each person has a heart, two lungs, a liver, pancreas, two kidneys and intestines. So, you know, if you're an organ donor, you could help eight different people possibly. But they um, take eyes, they take the skin. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, I donated, donated my everything. <laughs> yeah. My niece had my, I have a niece who is just turned 23. And when she was about 10, she had um, bone cancer and they had to do um, a little bit of a bone transplant in her leg where the bone where the cancer was and she got um some cadaver bone wow when they did that surgery i'm curious so well i have two questions one to be a living donor what are the organs i could give up i know i can give up one liver right you know you give up a portion of your liver okay slice of your liver because the livers regenerate oh right okay and um they you give up one kidney and those, so those are the two organs that I would be able to. Okay. And so let's say I make that decision that I want to be an organ, organ donor. What's the first step? Like, do I have to go to the doctor and get a physical, like tell you them? Go to your doctor and get a physical and let them know what you want to do. And then they will put you in touch. If you don't have a specific person, mm-hmm. they'll put you in touch with the closest transplant center. Okay. And okay then they will start working you up. And when I say they work you up, I mean, I'm talking, you go through breathing tests, you go through stress tests. You, I mean, you get bone scans, you get MRIs of your whole body. You get x-rays of your body. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, to get worked up for my kidney, we had to go to Richmond four days a week and it was all day. It was appointments starting at nine in the morning till four in the afternoon for five days straight. So it's invasive. <laughs> it's very, very invasive. It's a lot of working up. I mean, you name the test, they give it to you. And then if you fail one little part of it as a living donor, you can't donate. And not every, a lot of people don't end up passing. Yeah, that's what I would imagine, just because th- there's more risk as being a living donor as there is just being a donor after I've, de- you know, I'm already dead, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you right. know, but stories, you hear stories of somebody getting ready to go and their living donor transplant is scheduled, is scheduled for like three days away, and then all of a sudden they get the phone call for a cadaver organ. Oh, they'll give you the cadaver before they give you the living donor just because. The- yeah, that's less risk on the living donor. Yeah. Surgery. So interesting. This has been very, very interesting. Kind of opened up, uh, opened up my mind a little bit. I don't know if I could. I, th- I mean, of course, I if it was my family, I would do it. But just to be a donor, I, I don't know if I could do it. But I've definitely. Uh, learned a lot today i appreciate that but if I, nothing else if you know someone incarcerated you mark it down that you're gonna yeah. give it to them yeah 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 <laughs> like i said i i it's it's it, i couldn't be more thankful to the family of the person who allowed me to get my liver but i just found it so interesting about someone being incarcerated and you know you just really i mean i I hope that more people who are the next of kin or the emergency contact for someone incarcerated have such an open mind as the person who I got my liver from that they will um, donate the organs. Yeah. But yeah. Again, I mean, 
somebody who gets a phone call about uh, coming from someone incarcerated and being such high risk, I would never even consider saying no. And the other thing that Susan was saying before we got on the show that I thought was interesting is, you know, if, if you're listening to the show and, you know, you want to be on the list, you want to help others and, you know, you, you don't see on your driver's license that it says you're an organ donor. A lot of times people make that decision when they're young, they're, they don't really know. And they've, they've never, you know, gone back. They never went back to DMV and made sure they're on the list. So if you don't see that on your driver's license, you know, go ahead and get, you know, take care of that. So that way, you know, you can help somebody that, you know, that needs it. I mean, I personally wasn't an organ donor till about six years ago when I realized I'd never checked it off. And I'm, you know, in my young 50s. So, I mean, you're talking I was in my 40s before I even marked it off. So, right. And check your license and make sure you are a donor. Yeah. And I will say, uh, like in car accidents and and such, if you are a donor, they treat the accident scene very different than they do if you're not a donor. They make sure that your body is, you know, on ice, on its way, like immediately. I know that to be true. I have a friend that's an EMT and they have special protocol. That's one of the first things that they have to do is look, are they an organ donor? If If they're already deceased if they're an organ donor and to get their organs to the hospital. Yeah. Cause they have to keep the person alive till they, um, retrieve the organs. Yeah. So they're, that's what they're doing. They're still pumping. They're not putting them on ice. Don't listen to me listeners. Yeah, they're, 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 <laughs> they're treating them like they're still alive. Still alive. Yeah. Keep, um, the organs can't be, um, deceased for so long or right. they're viable. Gotcha. Let that be a lesson to the you, you selfish people that don't have it marked on your driver's license. If you get in a car accident, those that ambulance, they're loading you up and then they're going to the gas station. They're buying a pack, <laughs> yeah. of, they're buying a pack of smokes. <laughs> they're going to enjoy a Gatorade. And you're, 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 you'll just be sitting in there. <laughs> no, well, they, they do treat it very differently. And, and actually, when I was getting my liver, I had to fill out a paper. They were starting a, they were trying a new process. And either the, I wish I could remember the two options. They either put the organ on ice and then bring it over to you. Or they put it in something that's, keep the organ pumping. Mm, okay. So I signed a paper that said they could do either way, but I never was told how my organ came to me, whether it was still being kept alive by some machine that it was involved in. Right. But that they put it on ice to then let it go into my body and thaw. Yeah. Per se. Mm. It's, it's a very interesting process. There's so much involved in it. And even if you don't think you're ever going to need an organ, you never know. That's right. And something else that living donors may not realize is that if you donate a um, kidney when you're 30, and let's say you turn 60, and all of a sudden you need a liver, or you need a heart or something, or even something with your eyes, you automatically go to top the top of the list. Oh, that's oh. cool. Yeah, it's a l- you, little incentive. Be like at the very top of the list to receive whatever organ you need if you're a previous living donor. Wow, that's really good. That is good. Yeah, there's just there's just, there's a lot involved in 
you know, it's interesting to read up on. My mother's 89 years old and she, you know, sits and plays cards with her older lady friends and stuff. And she'll sit there and start rattling off different things about, you know, that she learned from me. And her friends just think she's the smartest person around. (laughs) Questions about it. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you for listening to Behind the Scenes and Todd Warner. Want to share something with us or be a guest on the show? Send us an email at tidewaterpodcast at gmail.com. Like, share, and subscribe our podcast to help us grow. And listen for more deals, discounts, and wisdom from the best businesses in the Tidewater area.